Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and bugger me if I didn't almost sing that. I don't know, I just can't do these repetitive intros. I just uh, keep having to change it. I can't help myself, sorry. Are you having a great day? I hope so. I'm having a great day. Happy to be here recording. And thinking about the topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, It's one that I've spoken about before in a former incarnation, but it's a really fascinating topic and the um, information has continued to come in uh, over time since I did my original video on the Popcorn Lobotomy channel. So yeah, we're going to be talking about simulation theory. Now, I covered a lot of the popular culture angle of this when I spoke about it on Popcorn Lobotomy. So I'm just going to put a link in the description of this podcast, and I'm going to um, let you go and explore that angle yourself. In this podcast, I thought we've got to do something a little bit different. So um, I'm going to take it more from the perspective of what is the story that we're telling about simulation theory and maybe debunk it a little bit. I don't know. Let's have a look. But actually looking at the evidence and the reasons why people believe in it and uh, why this idea keeps coming back. It just never seems to disappear. And it does seem like there's a lot of people in popular mainstream media who are pushing this narrative. And I wonder why. I always wonder why, because I'm fucking paranoid. No, not true. But I do think there is a sort of an agenda at play here. And we'll get to that towards the end. Now, I've got to say thanks to JP, Joel Pierce, who um, was the only person who voted in my poll on Facebook about what what I should cover on this episode. So he got exclusive rights to decide what I was going to talk about. It was between this and the 9-11 World Trade Center attacks. Uh, He picked simulation theory. Probably a good thing. Not sure if I would have had much fun talking about 9-11. It's a pretty depressing topic and not one that uh, people generally find a lot of joy in. Simulation theory? Eh, well, maybe. Uh, Depends really how you look at the story. So we'll get into that as we go through. But many thanks to JP for being supportive of the podcast. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if you get a chance, check out his albums on on Bandcamp, I believe. Um, Wandering Soul Music. Uh, He's only got one album up there, but... um, I know he's definitely got two because I've listened to both of them religiously uh, on a particular project that I was working on. I listened to it every day on my way to and from work when it was actually quite a long commute. I got through basically the entire album twice a day and both albums are just uh, amazing. Um, You know, he's a really accomplished rapper. And if you're into that sort of thing, you should definitely check it out. I'll put a link in the description thing and all that stuff. Um, Notably, he's also a very accomplished Instagram photographer, so you can follow him on Instagram as well. He doesn't say he is, but 
mm, he's got a real eye for it. Every time I see one of his photos, I'm like, that doesn't even look like a cell phone snap. You know, it looks like a pro photographer in an amateur's body. But then again, what does it matter if we're living in a simulation anyway? There is no photography. So wasting your time, JP, wasting your time. So even though I've got that other video out there, I do want to talk about the movie The Matrix uh, just quickly um, because it really is an interesting one. And to me, it was quite a landmark movie in the sense that it did introduce this idea of simulation theory to the world, essentially. Now, it's not a new idea by any stretch of the imagination, but it probably had slipped out of the collective consciousness until The Matrix came along. And that movie was made in 1999, I think, was it? I should have looked that up, shouldn't I? Idiot. And it was one of the most popular movies of all time, I'm assuming. I mean, it was popular at the time. And for a movie that, I guess, in retrospect, when you look at it, has quite a lot of flaws and has a kind of a non-conventional narrative, it actually uh, really ignited people's imaginations, which I think is really interesting. When I did my original video on the Popcorn Lobotomy channel uh, on The Matrix, I um, was interested to find the original trailer for the movie. And it was interesting how it was marketed because it um, started talking about people being trapped in their jobs and, uh, you know, finding a way to escape. And it didn't mention simulation theory at all, I guess, because that's a twist in the movie. So they didn't want to spoil that. But it was interesting, that angle, because it's quite familiar, I guess, if you've been listening to the last few podcasts I've been doing, especially the stories we tell about our jobs, that two-part series, because that sort of uh, dissatisfaction that people find in life is exactly what they tried to tap into when marketing The Matrix. And that to me is fascinating because that means that the people who were behind it obviously understood that there is a dissatisfaction and a yearning in society for some change or something better, just just some stimulation for God's sake. Um, and boy, did The Matrix give us stimulation, uh, action scenes that we'd never seen before. And they really threw everything at it. Technologically, it was top-notch and innovative. Um, and as I said, story-wise, very non-conventional, despite the fact that it is based on the hero's journey, which is a very traditional story structure. Um, the way it was presented and the, the fact that the twist comes in the middle and so on and so forth, it's actually quite a non-conventional narrative, or at least feels like one. And yet it was utter box office gold, wasn't it? So you just never know. Take a fucking risk, Hollywood. Come on. It's not that hard. Anyway, even though The Matrix did feel new and innovative, uh, it's definitely not a new idea. This idea of a simulation has been around for, I don't know, generations, centuries. Um, it goes all the way back to Plato's cave, which was a concept where Plato tried to describe uh, people seeing the shadows of the puppet masters on the wall inside a cave, but not being able to see around the corner or see the fire that was generating the shadows. So in their reality, they would just believe the shadows existed independently of the people that were making the shadows. I don't know if that explains it well. There's a picture. Go find the picture. It explains it way better than I just did. In fact, while you're in Google, you could just Google all of this stuff that I'm going to talk about because, you know, it's all out there. That's all I do. I just Google. So anyway, point being, people accept the reality that's presented to them. Okay, and that's very prominent uh, as a theme in the movie The Matrix as well, and key to simulation theory, and also key to debunking it 
in a sense. And if you find that intriguing, we will talk about that a little bit later. But let's uh, spend a bit of time understanding simulation theory first. You know, we've come from Plato's cave and possibly concepts even earlier than that that we don't know about or that haven't been recorded or I just don't know about because I'm bad at researching. And we've gone from that to the matrix and now the current incarnation of simulation theory, which is quite mainstream. What would civilization, if you count it, if you're very generous, civilization is maybe seven or 8,000 years old, if you count it from the first writing. This is nothing. This is nothing. Um, so if you assume any rate of improvement at all, then games will be indistinguishable from reality. Or civilization will end. One of those two things will occur. Therefore, Ultimately. we are most likely in a simulation. Or Good. we're on our we way exist. to one, right? Well, but just because we exist, we, exist we, we could most we, certainly be on the road. We could be on the road to that, right? It doesn't mean that it has to have already happened. It could be in reality. It could be in base reality. It's possible that a simulation is one day going to be inevitable, that we're going to have something that's indistinguishable from regular reality, but maybe we're not there yet. That's also possible. Are you a, a proponent of the multi-universes theory? Do you believe that there are many, many universes and that even if this one fades out, that there's other ones that are starting fresh right now and there's an infinite number of them and they're just constantly in this never-ending cycle of birth and death? I think most likely, this is just about probability, there are many, many simulations. These simulations are, you might as well call them reality or you could call them multiverse. These simulations you believe are created? Like someone has manufactured? They're running on the substrate. I'll spark up a joint if you keep talking. <laughs> Your manager's going to come in here. We might have to lock the door. Now, that's a clip from the Joe Rogan show. Um, so a couple of people might have heard that. Uh, yeah, that's why I call it a mainstream. A lot of the media attention focused on Elon Musk firing up a joint or having a puff on a joint. Ooh, and apparently that caused uh, the, you know, the shareholders of his company to back out and everybody panicked and the whole world fell apart. But to me, the more interesting part was his uh, repetition of the simulation theory. And I say repetition because he's been saying this thing for a long time. You know, back when I did my popcorn lobotomy video, I had a different clip of him saying the same thing, that on the balance of probabilities, we're probably living in a simulation right now. And it's easy to understand this concept. If we can create a game that's indistinguishable from reality and put artificial intelligence within it, and that artificial intelligence becomes conscious, then that artificial intelligence will be in a simulation and there's no reason that it would know it. So if we assume that um, the amount of time that's passed in the universe, reality, whatever you want to call it, uh, is relatively large, then the probability is that this has already happened to us. And also not just that, but we're, we're not just living in a simulation, but it's a simulation within a simulation within a simulation. That's just statistical probability. And to be honest, it, I don't know. I find it a pretty stupid argument. I mean, it, we don't know how long reality has been around, but all we know is the reality that we're in. Um, there's no real reason to think that we would even recognize anything outside of the simulation. Elon Musk is talking about games and we're trying to design a simulation that 
estimates our reality. But there's no real reason to think that a simulation is anything to do with the reality that generated it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's um, Think about, for instance, if a computer became sentient. Not a computer game, just a computer. What would its reality be? It would be defined by the inputs that it can receive. So it would think that a USB stick is our equivalent of sight, for instance, or our equivalent of breathing. You know, um, I need a hit of uh, of electricity every 10 seconds. And, you know, the, the, my breathing is that it would be completely foreign, the experience that that sentient being is having to a human and the experience that we have. It would be completely unlike it. So this idea that, that, that somehow the simulation is going to look exactly like base reality um, or just be a more exciting version of it because it's a game or a movie or some other reason to simulate things just doesn't hold up to me. It could be anything. This universe, uh, if it is a simulation, could well be just the supercomputer of the world that's generating it. And we wouldn't recognize base reality at all. We wouldn't even have senses to experience it. And yet the narrative just keeps coming back at us. Even one of the people that I actually respect and listen to, and to some extent, if I'm capable of it, admire, <laughs> um, is Russell Brand. And he actually put out a, a YouTube video, True News, where he was talking about the possibility of a simulation in a positive light. I'm fascinated when uh, a new vocabulary is used to describe uh, an ancient idea because it makes me think we're only able to receive truth if it comes through the medium of materialistic language. If you can reason how there could be a supreme consciousness, like in this case through a, a technological means, some great programmer in the sky or some alternative prior reality. As long as you get the vocabulary right, this conversation is once again opened. I'm glad to see it opened because I personally do believe, as I've said many times, that consciousness precedes matter. What's interesting to me is a person with a religious or spiritual, call it what you will, Weltanschauung worldview, like, uh, is that in most religions it says the world is an illusion created by a superior consciousness. It's almost as if encoded deep within scriptures, folktales and religion are certain truths that we are rediscovering and reframing now. Reality as received through the senses is by its nature limited. We know we only operate within a limited framework, within a limited bandwidth of information. And it is likely that there are different layers of consciousness, different levels, different types, different frequencies, and possibly we have some relationship with them. Possibly even the relationship of creature and creator. Possibly we are living in someone else's simulation. For me though, the real question is, how is that different from saying that there's a God? I suppose the key thing is, is does that creator love us? Is the very sense that we have love in us, the very idea that we feel love for ourselves, love for one another, or at least that we have the potential for those feelings, evidence that love is an aspect of that creator? That's spirituality as I'm interested in it. That's the metaphor of simulated reality as it interests me. Are we beginning to see new ways that we could 
understand that the reality as we perceive it is a construction designed by a higher intelligence. And what that higher intelligence wants is cathedrals and for certain genders and sexualities to be oppressed. That last bit's a joke. So, of course, Russell Brand, uh, leave it to him to put a spiritual spin on things. But, hey, uh, I guess that little clip there, he really does acknowledge that we're all talking about the same things, just from different perspectives and contexts. And this is all well and good, but it's really just conjecture, probability. There's no real evidence, is there, that we're living in a simulation. If we were, wouldn't we see things like what we see in the Matrix, where there are people who can break the laws of physics? Or you see the same cat twice, the deja vu thing. Glitches, as they're referred to in the movie. Why are we not seeing those? Or are we? Grand Theft Auto V, also known as GTA V, is a very good example of how all this could be accomplished. In the game, on one of the many streets of its virtual city called Los Santos, you see a very familiar picture. You are surrounded by cars that are hurrying to and fro somewhere into the distance, and crowds of people line the sidewalks. In general, everything's very similar to how it is in real life. So, being on that Los Santos street, you might think that the same story is happening to others, that life is alive and happening in the whole city at any point in the urban landscape. But, in fact, this is simply not true. The next example is the game Civilization V. If you quickly move the camera from one end of the map to the other, you will see the location loaded right before your eyes. The game engine is not perfect, so we can see how the view responds to our actions, realizing that we are looking at it. That is, the observer influences the game world by the very fact of his or her observation. That's a clip from the Riddle channel on YouTube. And fuck me, I would subscribe just to hear that guy's voice. That is an amazing, booming, deep, masculine voice. I bloody love it. I love listening to it. I wish we could listen to it longer, but alas, we do need to move the podcast along. Now, if you're familiar with some of the other episodes that I've done, or just generally quantum physics, you'll start to recognize the language that he's using in this section. And um, he does explain a lot more about how games work and how computers are optimized and so on. But the argument that he's leading to is that we see evidence of optimization in our world through the double slit test, which proves that particles have multiple states until they are observed and then they decide which state they're going to take. So it's a wave if you're not looking at it, and it's a particle, if you are. So he's saying that this observation that we've made in quantum physics, which we can't really explain, is equivalent to a game engine not rendering parts of the scenery that are not being observed by the player of the game, you know, for the purposes of optimization. Well, okay, but isn't the world kind of like an optimal system anyway? Isn't optimization built into nature already? To some extent, I don't see why optimization proves that this is a simulation designed by a higher consciousness. It just doesn't prove anything to me. Um, Sure, there's a mystery in quantum physics that we don't understand. The fact that we don't understand our reality doesn't make it a simulation. And in fact, in that context, simulation is just terminology, isn't it? There's something enforcing the laws of nature and the laws of physics and whatever other laws we're subject to. 
that we don't understand, we never will because we didn't design it. We didn't create it. Maybe it just is. Maybe there's a God. But this idea that we can picture any of these things within the context of our own reality as a human being is just dumb. It's just ridiculous. Why bother? We're not going to relate to whoever this God is. The genius of the Bible is framing the creator in such a way that he created us in his own image so that we can look at God and recognize him as something like ourselves. But the truth is that that's probably not the case, that the way you know our world, our universe, our reality came about is completely unrecognizable to us. I can't see it any other way. The odds are just unfathomable that we would recognize anything to do with anything else outside of our own reality, within the limitation of our own senses. It's just nuts. Why are they even talking about this stuff? And that's the question, isn't it? Why are they talking about this stuff? You know, I was speaking to a friend yesterday, or typing, or whatever. Who cares? It's a simulation. And he was talking about conspiracy theories and so on. And it occurred to me at some of the more outlandish conspiracy theories he was talking about, that a lot of this information that comes out and seems to get pushed, not even in the mainstream, but in the sort of secondary mainstream, which is still considered alternative, you know, the YouTubes and so on. A lot of this information could well be designed to try to get us in a mindset to accept an outlandish explanation. So, for example, the idea that there are aliens who uh, seeded the Earth and that we're somehow genetic creations of these superior beings or whatever. Or maybe they're just trying it on and seeing which ideas stick. But at the end of the day, maybe this idea, whichever one sticks the best, is going to be used to manipulate us. If you know conspiracy theory, you'll know about this Project Bluebeam thing. And the end result of Project Bluebeam is to create technology um, secretly so that when it's revealed to the world, it can be used to create an illusion of something supernatural. Um, Bluebeam could be used to create, for instance, uh, an image of Jesus Christ in the sky and a booming voice telling us all to do something. Or, for instance, it could be used to create, say, an alien attack, um, you know, like War of the Worlds style. You know, there are people who think War of the Worlds was, in fact, a you know precursor to Project Bluebeam. What can we do to convince people that something's really happening when it's not? How far can we push it? And Project Bluebeam is about kind of holographic technology and so on. Um, creating visual and auditory illusions. But uh, there's something to it. I, I don't know if it's real or not. It's it's hard to tell. It's Again, it's in conspiracy law, um, so it's, it's impossible to sort of trust. Um, but they got some documents in there, you know, they got some stuff. So why why not? Why, why would it not be true? And if that's the case, then maybe these types of narratives like the simulation theory are actually just buttering us up for this ridiculous, preposterous event that's going to basically be used to bring in this new world order, to change the paradigm. In the same way that 9-11 changed the paradigm towards terrorism and uh, making it okay to invade foreign countries, this would be used to take the next step to really get people on board with, well, we need protection against these fucking aliens, or Jesus said to... I don't know, brush my teeth three times a day and submit to the new world order. So, <laughs> which of course is what Jesus is concerned about. 
That's a purely philosophical question, I guess. There's nothing wrong with questioning reality, the nature of reality and all that stuff. It's fun. It's a nice one to talk about with your friends while you're doing shots at the bar or playing darts or ritually sacrificing a baby that you found in a dumpster. But to me, it just feels like an orchestrated information campaign. You know, you've got, say, Total Recall, which introduces the idea that you can have memories implanted in your brain and it'll be as if you really experience them. And then a few years later, you have The Matrix, which tells us that we can be in a virtual reality world and not be aware of it, and so on and so forth. There's just baby steps to sort of introduce this idea to us when none of it is really well established or scientific or even particularly good logical arguments. You can really tie yourself up in knots trying to think about this stuff. It just does your head in. Like, for instance, you know, I come from an IT background. I'm a computer programmer. So um, I have to think about things in terms of how would this thing actually function? How would there be a physical simulation? Like, for instance, we're creating simulations, right? So virtual reality, great technology, but it's not a realistic simulation and it never can be. Do you know why? Because the focus of your eyes is different when you're in virtual reality than when you're out of it. So it's not going to be like real reality. This was something I talked to a colleague about. He, we, we basically were you know, spitballing and we invented augmented reality, which is a real thing, right? And he was saying you could superimpose an image over a transparent film in front of the eye, and the eye would think that that superimposed image was part of the environment. And I said, no, that can't happen because your eye can't focus on two things at once. It would have to take an image of, uh, of the environment using you know, a camera of some kind, and in real time, it would have to combine that image with the superimposed image, and you would have to look at just the screen with both of them at the same focal length. He argued that you could have a technology that could defocus something so that when your eye was focused on something beyond it, it would look in focus. I said, no, that that's a misunderstanding of how light works, buddy. So no, that's not happening. Point being, you can't really have a technology that mimics reality. If you're wearing a headset, you know you're wearing a headset. You know, in fact, I wrote a story when I was like 16 years old that uh, started with a, a kid flying over some purple mountains and eventually he starts feeling these little twinges and tweaks and he wakes up to find that he's in virtual reality. Now, in that story, even then I understood that at some point you would start receiving sensory input from your body and you would know that the VR isn't real. You'd start to sense it one way or another, right? So the only way you could actually create a simulation that was remotely realistic would be to intercept the brain somehow. But what would be the entry point for this data? Doesn't the brain store data in like an abstract analog way with a whole bunch of neural connections and electricity patterns and stuff that we can't really map yet? So how would we get you know, a crazy helmet like the one Doc Brown wears in Back to the Future to, to interface with the brain in such a way that it's seamless. It just seems like, well, if it's possible, we're a long, long way from having the technology, which means that the cycles between these nested simulations would be quite long. And maybe there's a limitation built into the system somehow that prevents us from building a simulation that's perfect. 
you know, the, the, the rules of the simulation don't need to follow the rules of the simulation, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's not, you know, an infinite thing, a Russian nesting doll situation. But who gives a fuck if it is? What difference does it make if the Russian nesting doll can never get outside of the doll that's surrounding it? It just doesn't matter in our world. It has no consequence, at least beyond, you know, being interesting, polite dinner party conversation. It's not a concept to shape our worldview around. Although if you're in the market for starting a new religion, then maybe using simulation theory as a basis for it would be a good idea. At least you'd beat Scientology. You know, Someone should have told L. Ron Hubbard about simulation theory before he went with the fucking Thetans and Zeno and all of that garbage. There's even this pseudo-scientific guy who speaks to Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'll, I'll put the link to the video. I'm not going to play it because we're out of time. And he says that he's found, you know, literal computer code in the world that, that when he digs into reality down as many layers as, as we have instruments to see, that he sees computer code. It's, it's just nuts. It doesn't make any sense. And plus, why would the computer code of the outside base reality or the, or the immediate one step removed from our reality, why would it be binary? Why would it be anything? Why would there be electricity? Maybe you just like seeing computer code because you're fucking nuts. <sighs> you know, if nothing else, this simulation theory thing is an interesting study in how mainstream acceptance works in humans. You know, some authority tells you that they believe something and then suddenly it's acceptable. You can say you believe in it, you know. Um, David Icke, by the way, has been saying reality is a projection for 15 years and he's been laughed off the stage for the most of it. It's only recently that he's been saying these things and people are just nodding their heads going, yeah, yeah, that's science, man. Yep, yep. Oh, pretty obvious. Always knew it. You know, but when Elon Musk comes in and then says it to Joe Rogan or Russell Brand says it, oh, now it's a great idea. Has the story really changed, though? Or has it just been your conditioning to believe in it? So I just think, you know, pay it no mind, this simulation theory. Don't let them tell you that we're living in a dream world, you know, to, to borrow a quote from The Matrix. Don't let them tell you that reality doesn't matter and that it's something to be escaped. By all means, explore the idea if you enjoy it, but don't let it affect how you participate in the real world, the one reality that we know we can prove right now. Make sure you keep a balance, because I think the risk is uh, that this little story might be used against you. Rejoice in the struggles of reality, because that's what creates the satisfaction and joy our consciousness experiences. If we were to find base reality, chances are we'd just be like a brain floating in a jar and it'd be the most fucking boring thing you could ever experience. You need this chaos. But whether you call it a simulation, a game, or reality, those things are just words. And simulation theory is just another story. 